Oh yeah, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Daily Hi-Fi Podcast. My name is Sean Adi, I'm the Techno Dad. With me as always is Michael, the youth man, and Joe from Joe and Tell. We got a special guest today, his name is Mark. How's everybody doing today? Doing good, man. What's going on, Chana? Doing great, doing great over here. Yeah, man. Very good. What's what's new with you guys? Chana? You know, just working, working. <laughs> Try, working, trying, working hard. Trying to figure out what kind of light I can put back here that I can change color because this one's broken. It's just it's been just, broke for a while, man. You gotta get that. It fixed. is, it is, and it's so lame. They're like, oh well, they since COVID nineteen, uh, our um, you know, our factory's closed. So until <laughs> they lift that <laughs> part of it. I we can't fix it. I'm like, oh, cool. Can you refund my money then, and I'll return it? Crickets. No email uh, response. Nothing. <laughs> there it is. How about you, Michael? How's your back? I'm good, man. Oh, it's so much better, dude. I, right. I jacked it up last week, but just needed some rest, man. Yeah. So we have a special guest, Mark. Hey, thanks, thanks for being on with us. You have Michael. a lot of cool things to talk about. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. Um, I'm Medicare age, so I'm an old guy. Um, <laughs> I've been in the audio business since I was about 20. Moved from Michigan uh, after having studied architecture to, to be a rock and roll guitar player and came to California. Uh, figured out there were a lot better musicians out there than I was. And so I opted for the other side of the glass and started studying audio engineering. I've made a career in, in uh, professional audio ever since. and. Uh, also continued going to school, so I, I, I got the academic credentials uh, over the course of some many years, actually. I should probably, how do I do that? I'm going to have to kill my... Like notifications? <laughs> yeah, how do I do that real easily? Let's see. Don't worry about, you know, we don't worry about anything over here. Oh, yeah, yeah. We're, a, we're, yeah, we're, a, we're a relaxed group. We got a good group of people. And um, yeah. So yeah. basically, I, I, I worked for uh, a bunch of other groups. In fact, I've been listening on, on Amazon Music HD to one of the groups that, that was in the facility where I worked when I started after college was a group called Ambrosia. Um, and uh, then I, I went off, started my own studio and went from analog to digital, uh, sonic solution systems, no noise and, and re, uh, restoration kind of work that I did for people moved my facility down into what was New England Digital Studio in West Hollywood. New England Digital built the uh, Synclavier, which was a big high-end digital post-production system back in the uh, in the 90s. They went ba uh, bankrupt and, and I took over their facility. Then in what, 2006, I, uh, I bought the building that I'm in right now. We have nine studios in here, including a very large room in the back where I uh, uh, began to produce and, and release my own catalog of high resolution audio recording starting in the year 2000 that and, and i teach audio engineering at uh, at cal state university dominguez hills down in carson oh nice you oh, hill. So you're near you're near me we're la yeah, LA, the, LA is the uh i i got very excited about watching space force although i'm somewhat disappointed in the outcome but the whole campus down there was turned into the space force campus so it's uh, it's very familiar when I watch that show. My office and the union buildings and all that are part of the TV show that Netflix put together. Pretty cool. Very cool. Well, before we get into it, uh, there's a few comments here. People are looking at your your gear in the background and they're commenting. We have Kanga Empire who's always in here. He says, "I love those monitors." Uh, ATC. Yep. Question mark. Yep. Yep. Hey, these guys know what's going on. <laughs> yeah. So you know what. Whenever you feel like getting into it, you can get into it. 
Well, look, I'm, uh, I'm going to take some notes. Given, given that we've got uh, limited time, and and honestly, uh, this is the the first occasion that I've had to, to chat about um, the uh, research project that I got involved with that I proposed to my university about a year ago. Uh, in anticipation of a, of a sabbatical for the fall. Sabbatical when you're at the university is a chance to, to leave your teaching responsibilities behind for a semester or even a whole year. Um, you still get paid, it's wonderful, and uh, and you get to do something creative or, or in my case, do this research project. So I nice. I have, have uh, been involved in many debates with people online and, and in person about the merits of high-resolution audio. And let me define that as my definition because it is different than the uh, the Consumer Electronics Association high-end audio board that which I was a board member for eight years uh, with that group they define it somewhat differently than I do we, we can talk about that stuff too but there's a, a whole hour that we could go through in just defining terms but basically a high resolution recording requires that from the time the musicians are in front of a microphone or a group of microphones whatever and being captured by the equipment that that recording chain, is better than CD specification audio. And that generally means somewhere around 90 dB of dynamic range potentially. It means a frequency response higher than 22.050, which is the maximum you can get on a compact disc. Um, now there's a lot of things about producing records that, that allow us to, to make loud sounds, you know, compression and all that other stuff. But I wanted to see in the year 2000, when DVD audio and SACD showed up, new optical disc formats that bragged about higher quality audio and surround sound, um, whether we would be able to, to actually uh, make a business out of that. Turned out we really haven't. Those formats are, are dead and dying if they're not gone already. Um, but to make recordings that actually adopted that high resolution core specification, in my case, that was recording an entire group of musicians uh, simultaneously on a live performance stage down in, in Los Angeles, downtown Los Angeles at Zipper Auditorium, which is part of the, the uh, uh, School of Arts down there. Uh, beautiful hall, you know, wonderful reverb, a beautiful nine foot Steinway piano, big hall so that I could bring cameras and get everybody set up at once. And we would record, uh, whether it's Rita Coolidge or Willie Nelson or a folk group or a solo guitar player, we'd bring the whole group in and record everybody singing and playing at the same time. Uh, lots of microphones, cameras, even 3D cameras when we started doing some of the stuff more, uh, well, when 3D Blu-rays were, were all the rage. But I made all those recordings. I made about 100 albums. I spent millions of dollars and, and 20 years of my life uh, advocating for better quality recordings, high-resolution audio recordings. And I, and I quibbled uh, strenuously against the misnaming, uh, I mentioned the Consumer Electronics Association, their definition was anything better than a CD. And it included, if I wanted to take a recording from the 1920s, which was cut on lacquer and had limited bandwidth, if I took that recording and digitized it at 96 kilohertz, 24 bits, in their world, that's a high resolution recording. And I, and I don't believe that. I think that's nonsense. So most of the audio that you're going to record or that you're going to be able to download or now stream from the services that offer quote-unquote high-resolution audio recording are in fact not delivering high-resolution recording to you at all because much of that stuff is coming from analog tape masters. Those don't equate to, to CD quality. 
They may sound better to your ears, but they don't actually meet the specifications of a, a compact disc even. So, you know, there's a lot of different uh, definitions and stuff out there. But I established myself very aggressively uh, as a major proponent advocating for high-resolution audio. And I began to doubt myself. Uh, after spending all this time and all this money and, and releasing records that, that people have raved over and we've won plenty of awards and recognition from reviews, been very positive on the things that we do at AIX Records. Um, uh, that's, that's a plug. Although if you're curious at all, I am making available on my download site called iTrax, I-T-R-A-X.com. Um, there is an album up there that comes up first. It's a sampler that I did with Sprint, uh, the, the phone company some years ago, that I'm offering you know, 18 tracks in high resolution in both surround and stereo um, as a free download. And 1,500 people have pulled it down so far. So if you're interested in what I'm talking about and want to hear it through your system, that's the easiest way to sort of get your ears on it and figure out what, if I'm, what I've been producing. There's reasons why they sound really incredible but it doesn't happen to be because they're high resolutions because of the way I made them and what I did in post-production. Anyway, um, and I'm not keeping my eyes on questions. So you guys are going to have to inter interrupt <laughs> over here and I'm trying to. Yeah, there's a couple of questions that's come in. Okay. So we'll, we'll take a break here in a, in a quick second, but I, as part of this sabbatical project, what would be compelling that would allow some committee down at the university to say, you know, that's worthwhile. We'll have this guy, Walter, take a semester off and, and do this research project. So I uh, submitted a proposal about this very issue. Is high-resolution audio perceptible? Can you actually tell the difference between a compact disc quality, mm. 44.1 16-bits, or something like mine that are 96K 24 bits. Now, this has been tried before. There's a very famous AES paper by Meyer and Moran that they, they got their Boston Audiophile Society grouped together in, in various locations where the audiophiles had their, their tricked out systems and so forth. And they played what was commercially available from Elton John, from a number of other albums that were put out on SACD or DVD audio, the high resolution physical formats, right? Except the recordings that are on those record on those formats are like I mentioned with the Edison, you know, cylinders being digitized at 96k 24 bits. There were no high resolution sources that were put into these high res bit buckets for people to actually be able to tell the difference. So if you've got CD quality or analog tape and you digitize it at 96 or you digitize it at 44.1, there is no difference because it doesn't exceed the CD quality to start with. Gotcha. So it didn't make any sense to me. And, and so the whole thing started smelling a little bit fishy to me. I said, for this research study, I have a whole catalog. I've got mm -hmm. 100 albums that I know because I, I've, I've researched and I have uh, in my post-production process omitted compression. I've omitted uh, artificial reverb. I use no equalization. I record what happens on the stage. When somebody plays something loud or sings something loud, that's the way it comes through the recording. Okay, so it's wonderful for us recording engineers to have 96K and 24 bits. It does favors for filtering. It does allow us to, to be more gentle with the headroom and so forth. But does it make a difference when you actually play it back at home? That was the fundamental question. So the paper that I'm writing for the AES is you know, a, a perceptual discrimination study, high resolution versus standard resolution. And I define standard resolution as CD audio quality. Now. Sidebar there, the new Amazon Music HD streaming service, 
CD quality for them is called high resolution or high definition. So the the, the marketing people are are running amok in terms of trying to sell you. Surprise, <laughs> surprise. <laughs> so I was granted my sabbatical. They said that's nice. not a good idea. I'm off for a 15 week semester. And so last fall, I uh, I went through. I said, you know, I'd started something like this before with five or six tracks, but let me. Um, uh, switch over here to my preview. I think that was it. And go back down to the bottom here. So, okay. So, I, I, uh, are we on? We're seeing that now, guys? Yep. Yeah, you're good. Okay. So, I I, uh, I have a blog. My real hd-audio.com blog is followed by about 5,000 people every day and reaches a fair number more than that, especially when I say something controversial. Um, <laughs> uh, I went, of course. When I went off on HDMI cables, I think I hit 50, 60,000. Um, <laughs> Imagine that. You know, yeah, those thousand dollar HDMI cables, they make a whole lot of difference. Well, they do if you turn in up volume and you take the roll off off of the sound you're playing. Hey, okay. Mark, we're ready to take the heat over here. Don't worry. Okay. Yeah, it's all good. Uh, there's lots of this. Anyway, so I... I to my blog, I announced my my process, my HD audio challenge. I think you can tell regular HD from uh, a real HD quality. My recordings, which do have greater than CD quality and greater than than 44.1 or, or 22K uh, frequency response. What are those parameters that, that, that make a difference for people? They should be obvious because you read Facebook blogs all the time or comments on, on audiophile groups. Of course I can tell. Paul McGowan, the head of PS Audio. Oh, God, yes, you can tell the difference between a standard res file and a CD. That's nonsense. In fact, you cannot. Um, so what I did was I took 40 of my, uh, or I took 20 of my um, catalog items, everything from solo guitar to classical uh, symphony and chamber music, uh, electric, acoustic, vocal, non-vocal. This was the, the basically the list that we went through. Um, and so I, I prepared... 20 of these um i put the the uh, you know the acronym for the for the name of the, the file mm -hmm. and i made them available to people in two different versions i took each one and i there's the the low res version a standard res version waveform time versus amplitude for those familiar right and then you look at the the spectra of that and notice how it all these are are cd quality so they cut off at the Nyquist at yeah. 22.050. There is not a frequency higher than 22.050 because they fold over and show up as alias uh, frequencies inside of a CD. So that's why we have these brick wall filters that 22 that that kill anything that gets in, gets into your A to D converter that's higher than that to prevent those kind of problems. But look, it's it's like a haircut. It's it's, <laughs> it's and there is it turns out lots Definitely. of sound higher than that. The question again, does it matter? So I, I did that, and then I went here. This is a pretty dramatic thing. These were done in, by the way, uh, Adobe Audition. Yep. So after looking at my book, um, wrote me a nice email saying, it's so nice of you to use our uh, to use their tools to to show off some of this stuff. So here is a, a uh, frequency along the bottom and amplitude along the, 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 uh, the vertical. And right there, a 22050 stops right at 22K. We have to filter that off, and all the rest of this is not nothing there's nothing out there sure. uh so and then i i i did the uh dynamics analysis on on these things i had to tweak because you go through the process of sample rate conversion and and uh, uh and going from 96 to 
44.1. And then I went back, and this may be a, a major uh, source of, of you know, uh, people complaining or arguing. I went back to 96 so that when you get those two files, they're both identical in terms of the size. Otherwise, you look at the file and one's half as big as the other. That's got to be the low-res one, right? So uh, there's the high-res version. looks the same. But there's the high-resolution version of the Spectra. And notice oh, it doesn't stop at 22K anymore. All this sort of uh, purple and, and low-grade red, so forth, and stuff up there mm -hmm. is the higher partials of cymbals, of you know guitar harmonics, things like that. Some instruments don't have a lot of sound up there, but some do. Do we hear them? Right. And remember that from 20K to 40K, all the way up here is only one octave. You know, we, we deal with this factor of two to, for increasing octaves. So there's not a whole lot up there. And what is up there is only one octave's worth. So is that audible? Does your speaker, do your speakers reproduce it? Can you get that through your headphones? Uh, do our ears respond to it, especially if you're older? Um, and so I, I put this plot up there, which actually the red line, this one here, is where the CD stopped. This is what's really in there in terms mm -hmm. of content. And it should flow in this slow ramp down to you know, minus 100, where you're generally not going to hear it, especially over the background noise of your, your listing environment. I'm in a, you know, in a soundproof, well-designed studio. Um, and even in here, minus 80 is about as good as we get, minus 60, 70. At home, you're never going to hear that kind of dynamic range because the noise of the air conditioning or of your, right. your, your refrigerator is going to be louder than that. So, um, and the, the dynamic values are all identical as well. When people write to me, I will send them back the credentials. They go up to my Google website and they nice. download the files. They downloaded MYSA or right. SI-A, which cool. we don't know. You don't right. know whether that one's the high res or the low res. You're supposed to, and you have to promise to me there is a big trust factor here. This is only audio. It's not like life or death. So tell me the truth. You're not right. going to cheat by looking at these and, and, you know, and analyze them because it's not hard to tell if you if you put them in a spectrum analyzer. You yeah, see sure. Off ones. So you downloaded all the files, and then you you listened and you went onto a form. This mm -hmm. is still available. The, the test is still going on. If you want to cool. go to the site and download, see for yourself. Um, and then I collect now. Roughly eighteen hundred people uh, have requested the tracks. Mm -hmm. uh, about nine hundred of them have taken the time to to download those tracks. And I'm creeping up right now on about 500 people have actually responded, have, have submitted their results. Now, the good and the bad of that is that's far more than the, the next closest study. The one that was recently done that Stereophile talked about had seven respondents. They were all students in their 20s that they brought into an echoic chamber. They played mm -hmm. loud noise bursts through. Did speakers. you say seven? Seven. seven. That's yeah. a big That's uh, a sample, sample rate, right? Yeah. Sample size of seven. Hard to draw conclusions from that kind of thing. Uh, well, I, sure. I would, I would bring these these answers back in if they couldn't guarantee that they listened actually to a system capable of reproducing ninety six k twenty four bit. They got a red line through there. Can't hmm. count them if they can't tell me that they're hearing, you know, with with the files that they're native. Right. Right. Um, and notice this is just a sample, but it it turns out. An awful lot of people. There's a big group in here. Now, uh, they couldn't tell. They just flat out said, I, I, they sound the same to me. I mean, I'm mm -hmm. not going to be forced to make a choice. Nice. Which for the statisticians of the world has been a problem because we want to put them in that nice bell curve kind of thing. Right. I said, all right, if, that, that's proof positive. If, if, if you can't tell by listening mm -hmm. in your system at home, 
whether it's headphones or a very high-end system with expensive Wilson speakers, whatever, if you can't tell the difference, then there isn't a difference, right? Mm -hmm. So it turns out that by the time you do all the averaging and so forth, nobody's doing better than chance. This is a 50-50 toying cost kind of <laughs> wow, nice. cost kind of thing. In fact, there's this guy, Anders, who's I think a 40-year-old guy in Denmark who uh, who wrote to me initially and said, you know, I'm cheating, but I can tell. And <laughs> there was a small delay after my sample rate converted. So I fixed all that. Fine. And then he, then he wrote me a video where he just tossed a coin. He went through his ABX uh, comparison software, FUBAR right. or whatever it was, and uh, and flipped a coin. He got, what, 16 out of 20. Right. So you got a better chance of flipping a coin to get these things than you do actually listening with your ears. I have had, admittedly, there have been a few people that have done exceedingly well. I have one guy that got 100%, but he only listened to one track. He had a 50-50 chance. Mm. So the fallacy here, as I'm... Yeah reluctantly trying to to come to grips with after having spending millions of dollars and and thousands of hours of my life is that uh -huh. everything that I've done for the last 20 years is for naught. That high resolution music, as it's recorded in real high resolution with the best possible equipment, doesn't make any difference. You really cannot tell the difference. If you take the same file and you convert it to CD quality and you listen to them back to back, you cannot tell the difference. So anybody anybody that on a facebook group says oh it's easy any manufacturer or so-called expert who stands up and says oh this this is the next dawn of, of uh, audio fidelity is full of it it's just nonsense <laughs> when they when they stand up and say, you need to spend 24.98 and download t for the tillerman again um at 96k 24 bits or hey wait a minute let's go to 192 no 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 384 uh, that's really where it starts to cook wow it's I gotta buy the white album again. Damn. Well, that's the reason for buying the white album again is not because it's high resolution, but why? Because it's in surround. Mm. When you talk about surround, now you're now you're 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 making an audible difference for stuff. So I, I held that study. Um, they you know the respondents have been trickling in. What's good about it? Well, I think it's it it involved a lot of people. It demonstrated what we really have at home as opposed to being in a studio environment like this. People were able to actually um, take the files, listen to them as many times as they wanted. I had right. one guy who just turned it up insanely loud through it. <laughs> it better than 50-50 because <laughs> listening to the noise at the very... If it's that hard, wow. yeah. then maybe it's not worth it. Kind Interesting. Of, certainly, you know, a disclaimer on damaging his hearing or something like mm -hmm. that. So, yep. The, the problems with this, and maybe, you know, your audience will, will, will help, is that the demographic of people that read what I write are people like me mm. who are over 50 or over 60. The oldest guy is 89. He took right. the test. Um, mm. And so I need to skew this thing <clears throat> lower in terms of the, the demographic, the age group. Right. That makes That's sense. Ladies sure. and, and, and so I, you know, I tried to wrangle my students and uh, and did, and a number of them took the test. Uh, one guy did exactly exceedingly well because he put it in Pro Tools, turned it up really loud, and was able to switch tracks instantly um, and and hear you know high frequencies in one better than the other. Whatever he was doing, he did actually about 75, 80 percent, which was surprisingly uh, good. So my my I've gathered all this data. Cool. I've made my own sort of preliminary you know uh, conclusions, drawn some some information out of it. But I, because I have so many readers out there, I went out there to, well, let's, let's actually do the, the PDF file first. 
So I went out to uh, a bunch of my readers and I said, I need some help. And this gentleman, Sergio, is one of several who are, they make their living grinding through numbers and, and people, you know, get excited about Excel spreadsheets. Very excited. Yeah. And so I sent the data to a number of these people and they were they were kind enough to spend some of their time um, analyzing the uh, the information in raw form that I sent them about age. And I asked about your age, sex, uh, your listening environment, your experience, whether you consider yourself a golden eared person who, who, you know, has some experience listening, uh, how you listen, whether you listen through headphones, what, you know, what quality of equipment you have, what price range, that kind of stuff was was involved. And so um, these things were all then sort of plotted in the in the uh, statistical breakdown that, that we came up with. So, mm -hmm. you know, it's basically a binomial test. It's two ways. Which one do you think is better? That's, a, that's an issue because the real question, although I've been, I've been corrected here, is that is high res better? Well, it's got bigger numbers. Or is somebody going to prefer the CD because the numbers are lower? I don't know. So it really became a question as to when you compared A with B, which one did you like better? And which then in, in terms of statistics comes back down to, I like CDs better. I like the HD. If you like the CD better, does that mean you were able to tell it from the other one or not? So there were a number of these things that, that um, uh, the statisticians came, came down with. But at that point, I had 318. There's about 460 now people that have have responded they mm -hmm. confirmed that they played the stuff at 96k um and, and that's far more than any other study has done by 20 times easily 20 times um the median age is 58 as i mentioned that's a that's a a flaw because it hasn't gotten out there to enough people and maybe generally speaking the audiophile community being you know uh an older white demographic, primarily, you know, it's old guys like me that are playing turntables and <laughs> they can afford it. They're buying expensive reel to reel tape recorders and, and playing tapes for $300 an album kind of thing. Mm -hmm. It's a hobby that, that, you know, you can spend, you know, tens of thousands of dollars on a power cord for crying sure. out loud. So we've skewed larger. Um, but there's, there's some people in here. I think the youngest was 17, something like that. But uh, the distribution is, is, not too far off. Um, one of the things that, that was included in Sergio's uh, analysis, which is in, in criti uh, critically important, is that as you get older, your high frequencies diminish. Uh, uh -huh. I have protected my hearing all the years that I've been an engineer and, and uh, don't suffer from tinnitus or, or uh, loss of hearing tremendously. But still, there, there's a very real factor that says as you get older, your high sure. frequencies start to, start to diminish. Right. Um, the equipment level, we had a pretty good distribution. There's plenty of people. Uh, I was about to ask that. Yeah. Five people that spend over $50,000 on their, their audio systems. And then, you know, uh, they were, they were plenty of people down there. I had a very basic setup. And honestly, if you, if you have a good quality Oppo and a nice set of headphones, you can listen just as, as well as the people that are spending crazy kind of money. Hmm. Uh, listing experience. This was another, uh, one cool. was asked. Uh, so most people considered themselves moderately experienced. And as you look at the results, it didn't really matter whether you were an expert <laughs> or listen for your, you know, awesome. living. Um, so one of the things that um, uh, was important is that, that I allowed people to skip a track. They didn't like that music genre. You know, mm -hmm. they've never heard a string quartet before or solo piano is not their thing, whatever. 
So, but notice that by the time you add in did not try or no differences found, that's almost 25 to 30% of the people who just flat out said, I can't tell the difference. It just, they sound wonderful. And and here's a, here's a you know, a confession from yours truly who spent the time making these. I can't tell the difference either. If I listen to them in my uh, control room, turned up to a reasonable volume on my B&W speakers, the speakers and the room where I mix them and I switch arbitrarily between A and B, I can't tell the difference. Hmm. I really can't. Uh, Maybe me, maybe you're, you know, uh, more capable of that. If, if so, download the files and try it. Uh, <laughs> bring it, bring it uh, on. You yeah. try it. Let me know how <laughs> it goes down. <laughs> you know, it's so easy to tell and they'll download the files and that send me the results. Hmm. You, think math you think they're scared? Here. Oh yeah. I'm out of here. Yeah. Maybe they're scared. I, I think for most of us, you know, we don't, it's hard to even fathom that, you know what, I could be wrong at something. And I honestly, I, I like very much commend you for even challenging what you've always known and what you've always believed to be able to open up and say, is this I reality? Wrong. I was wrong. And, and, and that's part of, part of, I think why people, uh, at least 5,000 people are the ones that let me know, um, like what I, what I say in my blogs is I'm not making a living by mm-hmm. selling highest high high end audio or equipment yeah. or cables. Gotcha. I make my living, you know, uh, <laughs> being a university professor. The book that I wrote, uh, I'm writing a new book. You know, so there's mm-hmm. there's other factors. I have no reason to lie to you. Yeah. I have no reason to to juice the results one way or the other because it doesn't make any difference to my income. Right. Right. Um, sure. I just think that it's important for for audio uh, enthusiasts and and people to to get. The right information out there to get accurate information. I've been kicked off the high-end audio board. Um, I was ceremoniously, unceremoniously, uh, uninvited on a wow. rather interesting phone call. We just don't think that you know your input on these things is valid anymore. Mm. Why? Wow. Because I started telling the truth. As you're challenging, the, yeah. They, in, wow. in, in those meetings, people say we have to skew to this line. Because it sells the most equipment or the most people. Wow. Yeah. That's what the business of trade associations is about. It's not to tell the truth, mm. it's to sell more expensive power cords, gear, yeah. equipment, and so wow. forth. And look, if everybody's bought equipment that will deliver uh, the best <clears throat> fidelity already, then why do we need to spend more money on HDMI 2. Point whatever or better speakers or whatever? Your best investment, folks, at, at at the end of the day, ears. is to soundproof your room, to listen in a symmetrical environment, to put yep. a diffuser on the back wall. Because, you know, if I move my head one foot, that's one cycle at 1K. And you can't put your head back within an eighth of an inch uh, between A and B when you change a power cord out. So mm-hmm. there's there's just a lot of flim flam out there. So I, uh, I went through this. Thankfully, Mr. Sergio did his thing. And then this other gentleman, Robert, who's a, an XL uh, wonk who just went nuts on this stuff. Um, he p- basically broke down every track. And notice where the, we're in the middle here, where we've got the, the, the bell curve, with the exception of I couldn't tell any difference, which hangs out here in the corner. Basically, that bell is around chance, 
there were people that did worse. There were people that did a little bit better. Mm -hmm. uh, and and thankfully, he told me that that some tracks, uh, click on this, see if it's actually going to work here. Um, some of these tracks uh, were actually more susceptible to, to perception than, than others. That mm -hmm. some people could actually tell a little bit better given other tracks. It wasn't crazily skewed, but, mm -hmm. but not all tracks uh, showed up the same. So my, my task right now um, is to go through all of this data, um, to, to close out the, the survey, and to, uh, to write up this AES paper um, to explain exactly the procedures that I went to, what tools I used, um, defending the fact that these were, in fact, native high-resolution audio files to start with, uh, whereas nobody's ever done that before. What, what, what NPR, I saw a thing on NPR, uh, uh, or their test was actually on a, on a Facebook, YouTube video, and basically, they're using you know commercially available uh, uh, files, music produced by you know name your favorite band, and then they would play them at CD quality and play them at, at 320 kbps MP3, mm -hmm. and, and people couldn't tell the difference between those either. Well, the fact is, none of those files are high resolution. Yeah. They're, can you tell format A from format B? What's the threshold that we need is, is really what I wanted to determine. And I have decided, and I think my, my data and my survey back it up uh, very, very uh, well, is that at home, a compact disc could deliver all of the fidelity that you need. Mm -hmm. Quality of the recording that then is made and delivered on that piece of medium is what defines whether you can actually call it audiophile or not. So we're talking about 44 kilohertz? 16 bits. 16 bit. Okay. But when we're making recordings, we need higher resolution. And we need that for the dynamic range when somebody's playing drums and wants to maintain that dynamic range. But at the end of the day, most of that's never delivered to us. Mm. Because, uh, look, I spent 16 years as a mastering engineer. I, I did the Allman Brothers and Bad Company and, you know, hundreds and hundreds of albums. That, that In fact, the, the, the story that I tell was... Look, nobody goes to, to mastering sessions. The musicians don't show up. It's not like you've got celebrities in the room. The producer uh, will will show up to master that record because it's kind of just one of the final steps. Well, Paul Rogers from Bad Company uh, actually came down from Canada, Vancouver, with his engineer, and we sat for uh, an entire day and mastered their Merchants of Cool record, which was a 5.1 surround album, um, a really good one, I thought. He was a thorough gentleman. I've really enjoyed working with him. And at the end of the day, he says, this is perfect. It sounds absolutely ideal. So I then send it up to the record label. Five times, they send it back to me and said, make it louder. <laughs> the artist approved the sound in the studio with me. It worked magic for him. Right. The record label knew that in the industry as in general, louder sells more records mm -hmm. so let's use the tools that we've got either analog tools like are in the racks uh, around me in this room or use digital tools to flatten those peaks to bring the low level information up and to flatten it so that it's all loud so, all the time right the mm -hmm. compression war right that's it and we have tools right now that will allow you to bring that up to you know 99.9 percent .9 of that 16-bit value um and it's all loud all the time. There's no clipping. There might be some inner samples over. There's a whole bunch of subtleties in here that, that, that are gotchas that can affect you. So maybe that explains why people say, you know, I really like my vinyl. I prefer reel-to-reel -reel tape because it has that, 
that sense of dynamic range. It has that quote unquote warmth and low level detail and all this other stuff that people in the audiophile world spew about. The fact is, if I take that analog tape and I properly transfer it from that analog master into a 96K 24-bit PCM file, it will sound identical to the tape and save you about $350 in the, in the exchange because you can play that file off of, off of any good quality deck, whereas playing a reel-to-reel -reel tape requires you to own a, an expensive reel-to-reel -reel tape machine, playback deck. So there are, there are some realities that, 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 that I chafe against in the, in the audiophile world. I know that it's a business. I know that there's a lot of people and a lot of livelihoods depending on selling $200 to $20,000 power cords this long. But yeah. I find that not the first thing that you should do in terms of trying to establish your, your, your golden ear status. Listen to really great recordings. And there are lots of them out there um, made by people in the industry. Uh, Fleetwood Max engineer, a close friend of mine, Ken Calais. Um, when you make a really great recording, and then you make it through the process of delivering that recording out to your to your fan base or to your audience and they love it, then you've succeeded. Unfortunately, the business part of it gets in the way. Mm -hmm. It turns out that if you look at the metrics, louder sells more records. So let's make everything louder. And that bad company record was really the, the straw that broke the camel's back for me. I, I left the mastering business, started my record label and said, let's see what happens. Right. When we make recordings where we don't restrict ourselves by the, the industry or the, the music industry norms, let's let's not master the records. I'm a mastering engineer and I don't master my records other than to put them in the right sequence and put three <laughs> seconds between the tracks. Right. If it's loud, it's loud and it's going to sound loud. If it's right. quiet, it's quiet and, and, and the other way around. So basically this this process, the, this perception study that I went through. It's a survey. It is not rigorously scientific. I didn't put people in an anecdotal chamber. Uh, you know, I didn't make sure that everybody could hear from 20 to 20. I just went out there to the real world audio file, people like myself and 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 many, many younger and said, take these files, listen to me at your leisure through your system, any way that you want, just prove to or show me or commit to me that you're not going to cheat. Um, and and I had, I had one guy write back to me in the comments, you know, but I looked at it in my, my uh, metering and, you know, the, the peaks on one were a half a dB louder. So everyone that was louder was the one that I picked and he got 100 percent. I said, that's, that's <laughs> yeah. technology to get past the, the issue. So I had to go sure. back and adjust the file. Building, and after that, he didn't get 100 percent. So mm. um, I think it's instructive. I think it's it's. So helpful to sort of determine in the audiophile world what really matters and what really matters is wonderful performances well recorded in lovely spaces and then leave well enough alone as you deliver it out to the public and, so with the guy who who was looking at the the levels so he was able to measurement measure it but he couldn't hear the difference right that's right exactly so, so usually it's uh when i have debates with people it's usually the opposite i say hey you know what you can hear it, but for some reason you can't measure it that's kind of weird that's well, kind of amazing. There is the the ongoing uh, subjective versus objective. You know this this thing I mentioned before we we got on by the article that I wrote about three letters being you know the only thing that's necessary to to market something in audio. Whether it's you know uh, uh, MQA was the example. So somebody took mm -hmm. my article and and and, and the, the responses that you get from people after pointing out that it's you know it's a hoax, it's a fantasy uh, technology. It just sounds better to me. Well, there's no argument. The, the, the argument, the discussion is over. 
like what you like. If you like, <laughs> you know, if you like mac and cheese out of a box, right. love it. Continue. I usually I usually ask, so is there anything that I could say or show you that would change your mind? If the answer is no, then all right, yeah. well, End it's of done. We're done. Yeah. And that's okay. Look, I, I get it. But again, we're, we're dealing just with a hobby here. This is this is music. It's one of the most important things and has been in my life. But, sure. but at the end of the day, you sit back and you can enjoy enjoy flip, the music. You know, records over on your on your turntable and and. You know, plugging in expensive power cords and and this and that. For me, it was about the music. What do I get from the music when I sit in the midst of a set of speakers? And, and, nice. and I've got some really incredible recordings that um, that elicit the kind of email responses that keeps me doing it. You know, after all these years, I haven't given up yet. People really responded to it, and and we've won a number of of you know awards. Uh, but I've, I've gotten myself in more trouble than I got kicked out of the LA and Orange County Audio File Society too. But <laughs> blog that, Congratulations! Yeah, that was a big step too. So I'm I'm sort of persona non grata in a number of institutions, but yeah. you know the people that matter to me are those people that write and say I've never in all my 60 years of listening to music heard something that did what your recordings did to me. So that awesome. works. That works for me. Yeah, absolutely. It's rewarding when you when you seek the truth and then you figure out the truth and then you're willing to stand up for the truth. Yeah. Even even if popular opinion is totally opposite. Mm-hmm. Well, I I don't think uh, I don't think any of the streaming guys are going to be uh, exhibiting at my trade show anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Mark, we actually got we got we got lots of questions for you yeah, too. We got several questions so that if, have come in. If you if you're willing to answer some of those, sure. um, you you let me know. I mean, do you guys want to say anything first? What do you guys think, Chana? Chana, actually, you you know you you do your own recording. You do a lot of that stuff, so. Um, I'm a hundred percent not surprised that anybody can't hear the difference. So, <laughs> um, I mean, it's, it's, it's just the way it goes. Um, and you know, there, there's a bunch of people that do say they feel a difference when they're listening to like uh DSD, um, does something to your skin, Chana. <laughs> oh, I get this tingle. Uh, I feel it. It sounds more full, uh, you know, so yep. I don't know. Maybe you know they you know they had a good day. Maybe they got a little stoned uh, before they listened to it. I have no clue. Um, but for the most part, like I, I mean, if I do send a recording to my mastering engineer, wants my recordings in sixteen um, twenty four bit, and then he he delivers it in sixteen. Or sorry, 44. sorry. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. He delivers it to me in CD quality. And I record it in better quality, so um, I I can't I can't hear the two difference. The one thing that he did, um, so I got a, you know, I started messing around with stem mixing and um, um, analog summing, and analog summing means you send all the tracks out of the computer and sum it. So let's say there's twenty tracks, and that sums into two tracks like a stereo pair, and then you bring that back into the computer. So you can do that all in the computer. And you could do that analog summed. And I sent him both. I sent him both audio files and he chose the analog sum one. He's like, I like this one better. And I was like, okay, cool. So I'll deliver you an analog sum all the time. So, I mean, and that was him. I I don't know if anybody, I couldn't tell the difference. (laughs) I only knew because I knew what I did to the, to the audio. So, um, I, I, I would imagine the vast majority of people, couldn't tell a difference nor would they care you know um, yeah, all that matters is right 
yeah, all that matters is they play the song that they want to play and the most convenient way to play them. They're not going to bust out a reel to reel. Most of them won't even bust out a vinyl. So, <laughs> Michael, what do you think? Kind of again, I mean, I don't think I've never really said that I've like what I would consider have like audiophile crazy hearing. Um, you know, I don't think I would be the one to be able to say I can hear the difference between those two. Um, I just enjoy sitting down and listening, like you said, sitting down to a good recording and seeing what it does to me emotionally, you know, and the experience that I could care less as long as it sounds good and, you know, it's moving me, then that's to me what matters the most, not, you know, am I am I hearing this at, you know, a higher, higher resolution? <laughs> so, All right, so... Here's here's what I think. So I think you kind of went over it that uh, the higher resolution is good when you're messing with the file, right? Mm -hmm. When you're pushing when you're, and pulling you're, it. When absolutely. You're when I'm sitting in a room like this and somebody's on the other side of that glass, <clears throat> absolutely, you want 24 bits. You want 96K yeah. uh, because the filters are easier. 24 bits gives you potentially mm -hmm. really true, but it gives you, you know, in the upwards of 130, 120 five to 30 dB of dynamic range. So when somebody actually then leans in and hits a snare drum hard or, or pops a note that's really loud, you know that you haven't been clipped. You haven't gone over what's mm, right. right. Sure. It's more, more latitude. Yeah, it gives you a safety margin that you need. But we don't need that. When I then make that recording, mix it, master it, and send mm. it to you at home. Yeah. There is a room that anybody in the audio <laughs> world has got that has a dynamic range potential the noise level of just standing in that environment with nothing going on yeah, and sure. listening at 85 dB that gives you any more than 60 to 80 dB of dynamic range. That's it. That's all you really need. So, look, the argument then comes back is why bother with all this 24-bit stuff? You know, that's mm -hmm. the argument. It really is. <laughs> that's does. the argument, yeah. Well, you know what? It's I, I do a lot of video stuff, and in the mm -hmm. video world, you know, you do want more latitude. So, Rec. 709 is typically what you deliver at. Right, so that's the standard. Um, but you usually want to capture more because you may want to tweak the mm -hmm. colors. You want to push this and pull that, and you don't want it to break apart and get completely messed up. But at the end of the day, you're delivering it Rec. Yeah. 709 most of the time. Yeah, um, same thing. Same thing know. even with photography. You know, yeah. we we shoot in RAW so that we mm -hmm. can edit the file and adjust and correct and do all that. But the average consumer, you're not going to deliver it to them in RAW. You're Finally not going to deliver on Instagram. Yeah, it's then... not going to. It's not going to be a six thousand <laughs> pixel wide image. You know, it's going to be like a twelve hundred pixel wide image, and it's going to be maybe a JPEG image. And and a good photo is still a good photo at the yeah, end of the day, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And again, it's about the photo. Does it move you? Does it challenge you? Does it you know cause you to question? And those types yeah. of things. That's so, awesome. so I'll tell you a quick thing, Mark. Uh, I actually did a test one time. I forgot what site it was. But it was a test between compressed, so, you know, going a little further down the line. So compressed, like different uh, bit rates of mm -hmm. MP3s versus uncompressed. And even then, I could tell, I could tell, like, I my, my hit rate was better, was better. But it wasn't, I, I had to, like, really, really listen in on, like, specific parts, like, uh, specifically the high frequencies, right? I was able to tell, like, okay, there's some weird something going on there, right? But for the most part, I was like... If I can't tell, I'm, you know, I was using some nice headphones. I'm like, there's might might be something wrong with my hearing or what. But luckily, I was able to tell slightly. But that was going from, like, really compressed to uncompressed. Well, right? 
the initial look, the, the the spreadsheet that I that I showed of the repertoire at the beginning of this thing, actually, if you continue out to the right of that very spreadsheet, the intention was to have the 96k 24-bit files, the mm. CD quality files at 44.16, a 320MP3, a 256MP3, a 128MP3, a 92MP3, and a 64MP3, and that would have just completely overwhelmed anybody who would read. Sure. Yeah. Hours yeah, yeah, sure. You mean I got to do uh, no? So look, the, the the most important one for me was: is it necessary mm. to to just keep increasing the sample rate and the and the word lengths on a PCM audio file? No. Yeah. The big yeah. thing, and a couple of questions that that uh, Robert uh, mentioned here, I my recordings and this free sampler that I mentioned from my tracks as a download um, has two 5.1 surround mixes. Uh, there's one that, that's from the stage perspective, because as, as I mentioned at Zipper Auditorium at the Colburn School, I'd bring the ensemble on the stage. And basically, they're not playing to the audience. There isn't an audience there. So we'd put them kind of in a semicircle um, and let them look across at each other and, and you know, impact each other's playing and performance in a, in a real life sort of uh, jam session kind of vibe and um i call that a stage perspective it would be as if you were standing in the middle of that group of musicians now uh the blog that i wrote on my site the other day after after again paul mcgowan from ps audio says oh absolutely surround is so much better once you get a chance to hear it but sadly there's just not there's only a handful of of, of records well ten thousand in my mind my mind is not a, a handful of right. of recordings it's it's substantial and it, but it's difficult. The world is entrenched, and as he is in, in a stereo equipment world, and so. But when you move to five one and you listen from sitting in the middle of the ensemble, or if if that's uncomfortable for you, and people wrote back and said, "Why would you ever listen to music like that?" Well, try it. You might like it. Mm -hmm. um, and then so then I mixed them in in a five point one audience perspective. So what comes out the the surround right. speakers is just the ambience of the hall that I recorded. Mm -hmm. um, Brings the image off of the, off right. of the stage a little right. bit, and then then we obviously we we deliver a stereo as well, uh, and people that are are you know dedicated to their stereo rigs and have spent a lot of money and a lot of time refining the sound that they get and the imaging they get on their stereo systems, I get that, but boy, if you listen, if you could sit in my room and listen to five BMW speakers and have uh, Jennifer Warrens with her ensemble singing so sad in surround. It's a tearjerker every time. There is I'll be just right over after all this stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm coming. Where's the address? <laughs> That's actually one that I can't release. Sadly, I, I made a whole album with her after she did a couple of tracks on the Nitty Gritty Surround album with the, the Dirt Band, um, and she just won't let me let it go. Although my version of, of "So Sad" in these tunes is is so much better than than others. I've mm. played it a couple of times at a trade show here and there for limited audience, but um, Five One makes it. And and look. We don't know. People say, well, 5.1, then I got to invest in all these speakers and put stuff up behind me. You don't. You know, you can deliver 5.1. In fact, I just earlier today, they had some kind of worldwide developers conference at Apple. What are the new, you know, earbuds 2 doing? Yep. They're spatializing the audio. Hmm. They're running surround audio algorithms to process the sound in such a way that it gives you an, an immersive experience. Hmm. You can do it with headphones. You can do it with a sound bar. Um, you can build it into streaming like the, the title people and Atmos and some of these other things. Moving from stereo to surround is as impactful as moving from mono to stereo. To stereo. Right. I mean, it really is. We're, uh, we're, we're getting into a different area too right now, <laughs> right? So I, I, just, I do want to get there because that's very interesting to me. Um, 
you know, because I do want to ask you about binaural too. Okay. Um, but they have we have a few questions over here. Do you, you want to answer some of these questions from the chat? Well, you want to pick a few? You know, I put, up, put yeah. them up on the screen. There's some there's some good ones that I saw in here. Um, from you know what? For me, I I have title and I have YouTube music and I have I have all these services, and um, you know I'll play title when it gets a chance because I like when it says master. It, look, it has a cool little icon and that yeah. makes me happy. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's about it. So that's okay. Um, let's see. Um, what's your opinion? Music mixed and Atmos. That's um, around. Look, if I can move the, if I can move people from two to five on a plane, mm-hmm. moving up into Atmos to give give height information is 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 gravy. That's sugar on top. Nice. Um, we just we just got to get people past two channels and off into some kind of immersive mode. Whether that's a, a, a headphone, there's a a box I, I actually have at, at my at my home called a Smith Realizer. They did a Kickstarter campaign with the Realizer A16. And I have the A8, which allows a room like my studio in the back to be captured. You bring yourself into that room. They set little microphones in your ears, and you measure yourself looking, you know, at 30 degree increments as they play sweep tones through all of the speakers. And remarkably, you can actually sit there and listen to this thing with the headphones on. And it's got a motion tracker. Take the headphones off, the speakers come back on, and you can't t- can't tell the difference. Mm-hmm. The headphones can actually be that compelling to to reproduce the sound of my two hundred fifty thousand dollar you know mastering studio in your apartment through a set of headphones with a you know seven hundred dollar box. So it's not precluded from that uh, because of technology. It's precluded because the the record labels are stuck in a groove. Mm. Literally, they are stuck in delivering stereo music to people right and and if there's no huge demand for surround they're not gonna they're not gonna offer it up on the albums that they pay people to mix you know for for me the most realistic sound that i've heard was actually from binaural audio like that's like i heard some binaural and i was like that sounds the most spatially like real life to me like accurate yeah like you were there like more, you know it, i have right? a atmos set up here and that it just sounded like whoa. That sounds really like I could place something, distance wise. It, it's very successful. I made a bunch of recordings using binaural technology, the uh, Pasadena Symphony. Um, my PhD I actually did with a binaural head with a Fritz Neumann. Uh, K- oh, the ten thousand dollar binaural head. Yep. Yeah, he and, I, he and I spent a week together and <laughs> went up on a hot air balloon. We went out on the ocean. We 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 had a great time. The the. the the difficulty that I have with that as an aesthetic of the sound is everything that you record when you put a, a binaural head, you know, uh, hang it from the ceiling and put it up on the top of a 20 uh, uh, foot pole. That's the distance that you get, that sense of presence that we're very familiar with because commercial recording engineers, the students that I teach, we put the microphones up close to the instruments, mm-hmm. close to the vocalists, yeah. close to the, set, to the drums in a drum set. And that gives you a sense of presence and, and intimacy that you don't get when you've got a microphone 20 or 30 feet away. And That's so right. my idea with, <laughs> with, with recording with stereo pairs is to maintain that sense of depth that you get with binaural and then to program it in, or mix it in such a way that 5.1 Surround give, maintains that sense of intimacy as well as the, the distant sound because I've got microphones well in the back of the hall. Binaural really works. I like binaural. Uh, as it's applied to, well, typically movie soundtracks. But if you take a music album like mine with a surround immersive mix 
and you run it through a binauralizing algorithm, the result delivered to your headphones is that same experience that you'd get if you had originally recorded it with a binaural head, except it maintains the intimacy of the sound. And that's what that's what the uh, the Apple people are doing. It's what Tidal is doing. It's what uh, immersive audio for VR is is using those binauralizing mm-hmm. algorithms to bring that sense of immersive sound. That's awesome. Sony 360 and so forth. I've been talking about that for a while. That they should be able to do that. I would like first for them to record binaural and then be able to play back in an Atmos and like kind of figure sure. that out. You, um, you know, just to be clear about what you know your whole talk. Uh, you're not really picking on high res specifically. You're trying. You were trying to figure out like where's the point, where's the point, right? So, in your opinion, where is that point? CD is the point. It's not no. like you can't go to 380. You know, compressed 380. C- what is it? 384 or whatever. C- CD is it? That's that's if, where you need to be. If that's we your take, line. If we take exactly the same content. Okay. And we 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 present it to people in in CD quality. 16-bit 44.1. Okay. And we then also make it available in 24-bit 96K. If mm-hmm. people cannot tell the difference between those two, then we have delivered enough with a seat. Mm-hmm. And, gotcha. and I believe it. Look, gotcha. is it perfect? No. There are there are issues associated with some of the filters, and there's some crappy ADDs and DAs out there. Yeah. But in general, with, with audiophile-level equipment, a CD can deliver everything that we need. Mm-hmm. Okay. So Spotify and YouTube are, are also not going to be... Exhibiting at the Hi-Fi Summit. <laughs> and, and anybody that has a SACD player. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. Uh, well, this was a good one. I like this question. Market, Mark, it was great having you on the show. We're going to go ahead and cut. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> oh, so Kang uh, says, uh, so aside from room treatment, because I do agree with what you're saying about room treatment and that that's a place where most people don't really focus enough attention. Um, but he says, where is the next most significant improvement come from, in your opinion? Immersive surround. Hmm. Going from that okay. two to five. So the, give, give me spatial direction. Five. Look, we mentioned the Beatles earlier before. The the the, the two big things that I have purchased are, are both the uh, Sgt. Pepper record and the White Album in 5.1 surround. I bought the whole $150 deluxe edition to get the one Blu-ray disc inside of there um, so that I could listen in surround. And listening to those albums in surround, it's a completely different experience. When you nice. hear and, and stuff in you know for the benefit of Mr. Kite uh, zipping around the room behind you. That's an effect that really works. And the more aggressive uh, I find, the, the better it is for my sensibilities. But it, it just opens up a, a, a connectiveness to the music that that you can't get through stereo, no matter how revealing your system is and how mm. good your sound stage is. So here's uh, Byron says Waldrop drop in knowledge. <laughs> Um, Andrew says, uh, thank you for your honesty. Your book recommends the benchmark deck. I have the 2011 Peachtree iDeck. In case you are familiar with the Peachtree, would a benchmark deck three sound appreciably better? It would. It would. Peachtree is really good, and there's a lot of really good equipment in the two to $500 range. But once you reach the level, and it has to do with clocking. It has to do with the the way that... that, uh, the information is reclocked. Look, one of the, the falsehoods of, of, of digital audio these days is you've got a low jitter USB cable. That's a complete nonsense statement. There's no jitter being transmitted through that cable because the DAC is reclocking all the information after it gets the data. And, and that's one of the things that the benchmark does exceedingly well. MyTech makes great 
converters. Um, there's a number of companies that make really great converters, and you don't have to spend a gazillion dollars. My recommendation, honestly, although it's a little outdated now because Oppo's out of business in the audio world, mm-hmm. yeah. the uh, the you buy a a, a Blu-ray player um, like the Two Ho Five, the One Hundred Five, for anywhere from eight hundred to two thousand dollars, something like that. If you can get a used one, that's got great ESS DACs in it that does multi-channel, eight channels of multi-channel. Yep. Really ESS want it. Saber, yep. So you know, it's it's. It's not hard. It's you know, uh, pitching my the, the existing book that I wrote. I'm now uh, uh, about to launch another Kickstarter campaign on the second book, which is called Streaming uh, Downloads and Personal Audio. It's basically a user guide to some of the new stuff. Because mm-hmm. look, we've blown out physical media. I got a whole second story in the back of this building that's just full of packaging and discs, you know, <laughs> waiting for people to buy and spin these discs. That's not how we listen. It's not how I listen to music anymore. Sure. I dial up one of the streaming services. My my current favorite right now is it's just Amazon Music HD. Even though they're full of nonsense, they 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 move all of the metrics. They said, okay, MP3 is now standard res, CDs are high res, and That's my awesome. stuff is ultra high res. So right. they're the eight hundred pound gorilla. <laughs> they can do anything they want. But sure. yeah. at the end of the day, you know, all of these specifications and chasing the bigger bigger numbers to sell more whatevers doesn't have anywhere near as much effect as just moving to a couple of more speakers mm-hmm. right listen through your home theater right i i i love the uh dark side of the moon 5.1 sacd incredible That's incredible nominal yeah well that was awesome i thank you for the presentation uh we're gonna leave links in the description to uh to all of your sites you have like a a couple sites right mark so you yeah. let me know and i'll i'll make sure to link all those People Hello. should take advantage of the, the iTrack site, which will give them the ability to download um, for free until the end of the month. And there's actually there's some coupons and stuff going on for downloading the book uh, and and purchasing the book rather and 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 the disc that I sell at AIX Records. So uh, I'll make sure that that you have those, Joe, to to, to link. And to that, that one's at iTracks.com. I see right. the uh, the album that you're talking about. It's called yeah. Ultra HD Audio iTrack Sprint. That's the one. You can, can you link that. to that real quick? Are you in there? I don't. I don't think I can actually no. paste. Here. Well, I'll I'll leave it in the description. Okay, I'll so if you're watching this, click on the video. Oh, there we go. Click on the it description. Did. Yeah, I just dropped it in the chat. I wasn't okay, sure there you go. Let me do that. Yeah, you can go head over there right on that homepage. There's one here. that says iTrack Sprints AIX Sampler, and it's free. By- Byron's upset. He he said he submitted the question twice, didn't make the cut. What was your question? It's, let's, it's, let's, it's uh, let's... why is why is most new high res music recorded forty one? Okay, uh, there you go. That was bit. way at the beginning. Yeah, yeah. The the reality is in studios like this and and the others that are in this building, nobody's recording high res unless you're considered going twenty four bits as high res. Most of them are doing either forty four one or forty eight k, twenty four bits. Twenty four bits gives you that that headroom that you need when you're capturing instantly loud you know uh, music and and knowing that we're going to be going out through downloads 48k is enough if you're really old school and you know you're going to go to 44.1 you recorded 44.1 then you didn't have to do any sample rate conversion provided mm-hmm. you got good filters my preference though and my recommendation certainly what i would encourage my students and anybody who's interested in my opinion is record at 96k mm-hmm. 24 bits you get better filtering the dax will run easily at that and then you can down convert to basically anything you want Mm-hmm. yeah good stuff well i think i think it's awesome i don't i don't see why anybody would really feel well 
I wouldn't feel, I don't think they should feel threatened because, you know, there's still a reason for me to use Tidal, right? Yeah. Because yeah. Spotify is all man. compressed. Yeah. YouTube music is co compressed, right? So th I, yeah. if I just want CD quality, I still need to pay for those services. The fact that it says master or MQ, whatever, yeah. you know, whatever. Um, but I'm still going to pay for those services anyway because of I want that lossless uh, you know, right. quality. And, and, and look, we have we've arrived. Thankfully, we've arrived at delivering CD quality mm. through yeah. these streaming. streaming yeah. Um, just today, actually, I just I saw an email pop up uh, announcement that I've been talking to people at, at Warner Brothers Music to pull all of my albums down from title. You know why? Why? Because they put MQA on them. And I will not allow my music to be compromised uh -huh. by a process, you know, as faulty as, as MQA is. So I said, my albums will not be available on Tidal unless you remove. Look, the 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 juggernaut that is that is MQA is that everything will be MQA. We won't have a choice. Mm. And and I I think that's bad for the music industry. If and so mm. they came, they actually wrote back to me. Said, well, are you wanting your music off of our service or just out of the MQA? I said, if you'll put them up there without MQA, they will sound better and more like what I want. Nice. And if you do that, then yeah, they can stay. Hmm. Well, have, did they answer you? Yeah, they're going to put them up as, as just stereo, high-risk, cool. CD quality. Gotcha. Wow. Cool. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, okay. People were, because I'm so anti-MQA, people were saying, well, look, your albums are up on title in MQA. They're checking you, man. <laughs> they were so I, I said, look, take them down. I, I won't. It's, it's just not an economic. It's not an, interest, uh, an economic winner for me. I'll sure. leave you one final story here, which is sure. about streaming stuff. I, you know, a good friend of mine who, who uh, made these these tracks available as streams now, because I don't stream. I, I download the stuff on iTrack. Um, so I have a, a catalog of 50, 100 albums, something like that, that, that they have gone through, done all the metadata and made them available through all the streaming services, including Tidal, including Amazon and the others. And I get, you know, uh, finally after six months goes by, I get a, a royalty report from this thing, and it's, you know, it's it's actually surprisingly healthy. It's thousands of dollars. I said, man, that's crazy. And I looked at it again. You know, ninety nine percent of it came from one artist. Is and it? You know, I have an artist uh, that that uh, uh, came from Beaumont, Texas, Mark Chestnut, country artist. Mm -hmm who I use his album when I'm demoing at a trade show to clear the room because all <laughs> you don't want to listen to Bubba Shot the Jeep. That's hilarious. Thanks. But his album is the revenue generator in the streaming world. Yeah. Who would have wow. thought? So I said, go for it, Bubba. I mean, that's, that's hilarious. That's the winner all the way around. That's yeah. funny. Nobody wants any of the other stuff that we've got, although I've got some really great albums, I think, for for listening and, and enjoying but um that was the one that quite surprisingly was the was the revenue generator for the mm. streaming world baba yeah. shot jukebox and mark chestnut who did a great job it was a really great fun album but um and thankfully his band and he could sing deliver the whole thing in you know a few hours it's nice there it is so byron summed it up room okay there it is well very very good you know i want to just say one thing is you know, if you're saving money, not buying certain things that maybe don't make that much of a difference, the this is what I want to tell this industry is don't worry. Don't worry unless you're the one who makes those products, then maybe you should worry. <laughs> but don't worry because we want to spend our money. Yeah. We're just going to yeah. spend it in different places. So, you know, if you make room treatments, then that's good for you, right? 
uh, if you're if you're making good speakers, I want to spend on some some Bowers and Wilkins expensive speakers, right? Yeah. So the money will go there, but you got to allocate it in the right proportions to the things that make the most difference. Exactly. That's Start cool. with the things that make the most difference and work down from there. And yeah. if at the end of the day you need a twenty thousand dollar power cord and you've got the money, you know, God bless you. Yeah. But that's not the first thing you buy. <laughs> no, no. I mean, I'm a musician. I've used the cheapest damn cable to get from my synthesizer into the computer. So that's that's really Carl, how it all happens. Carl, you know, Carl Fairhigh and the guitar player for Supertramp and, and an artist that I recorded, he spent two weeks picking his electric guitar cable. Hmm. Well, I use Mogami because of Chana, and that <laughs> one just for... and that's that's affordable. That's what's in the racks behind me here. Yeah. All this stuff is Mogami. Mogami. See, I spent on that, but that's about it. That's about as much as I spent on cables. Chana, <laughs> Michael. Mark, thank you again. That was awesome. I had a great time. How, did you have a good time? Yeah, I certainly yeah. did. I'm sorry I'm not going to be available for your event this weekend. I, I actually met with my surgeon this morning. We're going to do a little chopping on my body here. In, in the uh, oh, man. Uh, at, least, at least we could have you on the show. That was awesome. Yeah, I, know. Show, I realize I do have to buy the White Album again. I point one. So, <laughs> so thanks for that tip. I'm going to look for that. There you go. That $150 Mark, one. Thanks again. It's been All a right, blast, you man. So Appreciate you being on the show. Yeah, man. Shana, what you got? Well, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for tuning in to the Daily Hi-Fi Podcast. We do this every Monday, 4 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. On behalf of myself, Joe, Michael, and our guest, Mark, thank you guys so much for tuning in. We'll see you next week wait are we no we'll see you in two weeks oh Don't yeah forget, the hi-fi summit starts hi-fi on summit. friday it's happening so, so we will be going from friday all the way through till tuesday it's going to be the very first hi-fi online trade show make sure you buy your tickets at the hi-fi summit.com oh yeah <laughs>